You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Crowdfunding Nerds. This is Sean Bradford, and I'm opening up this week's episode. And we cover why do board gamers back crowdfunding campaigns? This is a question Andrew asks his community, and we, we go through that very interesting replies I think you're going to find very helpful when marketing your own board game, knowing certain pressure points of why people back campaigns so that you can leverage that messaging in your own projects. I also want to spend some time to quickly let you know that our crowdfunding notes course is now live. You can now get the course with a 65% discount. We are offering this discount for a limited time just as the course is launched. And we're going to give our podcast listeners a special price. We have a separate code for our podcast listeners, which are going to, it's going to last a little bit longer than the initial launch of the course. And that is podcast 2023, all in caps. Apply that code at the checkout and you'll get your 65% discount, reducing the course down to $209. For more information, check the show notes. A link will be there. Hope you enjoy this one. Talk soon. So the topic is what actually gets people to back your Kickstarter? Why do people back Kickstarters? Yeah. Yeah. So what I did was I wrote a recent update in my for my deliverance community. I wrote a Kickstarter update. I sent an email out. I put it on Board Game Geek and shared on my social media and whatnot, just as a creator. And in that update, we went through a status update and timeline and all sorts of things for, because people are excited about getting their products. And in that, I actually wrote, I talked about my Kickstarter philosophy. Why? I was going to Kickstarter or GameFound or whatever uh, crowdfunding, but it's really more about like the offer. You know, as a company, I wanted to share my rationale for why I or how I wanted to incentivize people to back my projects in the future. And I also wanted to give an opportunity for folks to answer why they would back a project in the future because I just wanted to educate myself to know, you know, really kind of keep an ear to the ground for my backers. I wanted to know what they wanted. I had a really kind of a solid idea of what I, you know, what place I see Kickstarter, both as a marketer and as a creator. Certainly the marketer helps quite a lot because we get to see a lot of a lot of people attempting various offerings and we get to see how well those are received. And so I kind of came up with my, you know, what what I thought would matter to people. And then I asked them and got their thoughts and I make a lot of business decisions. And I think a lot of people make a lot of business decisions on their own. I, in in the case of, you know, Next Level Web, a lot of the time, I, of course, take advice from, from my team. But a lot of the decisions I make by myself in, you know, my office with no consultation, I just have to make a decision as a business owner. And, you know, this, I think this is a little bit, of a lost opportunity as a as a crowdfunding creator my kickstarter strategy i had kind of decided what i wanted to do um and we're going to write or we're going to talk about this um uh, in in our next podcast but the kickstarter strategy i was inspired to share that with my backers give them what i intended to do and then ask them for um their opinion and see, you know, what, 
what makes you want to back a game now versus later? And, and that was a little bit of a, just a stroke of inspiration, but I think it was a very, very cool thing to share. I definitely, in the past, I've, you know, many times in the past I've shared, uh, like I shared the price of the game early on before our Kickstarter even launched. Um, I shared that I wanted to do a $1,500 pledge level. And I thought it was kind of crazy, but then my backers said, Hey, I can't afford 1500, but if you could do 750 and I could get painted minis, then I'd be down. And, and that's where that whole pledge level came from. It was by sharing my kind of business ideas with my community. And they, they actually had, were able to give feedback. So in many cases I've done this in the past. And so I thought to do it again with this, you know, to share what I thought my Kickstarter strategy should be. And then I asked their, you know, their opinion. And, um, I'm so glad I did that. Got such great information. And then lastly, I gave a factory update that was um, kind of related to China and COVID and how that has impacted their, um, you know, manufacturing. And, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we had an update from our, our factory, our rep, Rebecca, is, uh, is, who's awesome, you know, obviously is in uh, with Longpack. They, they uh, are in Shanghai and... Um, you know, I also had to write because that's, uh, can get very politically charged very quickly. I wrote a little paragraph about how does this matter to the Kickstarter and why am I including it in the update? Um, I think that anything you write, you should be able to have an answer to that question. It doesn't need to satisfy every single person that would read this particular section or, you know, but you should have an answer for yourself to, or to anyone who asks, why did you include this in the update? How did that matter to me? And so obviously when, you know, we're hit by delays uh, because of COVID in China and, and the uh, government response and all that, um, that impacts when people are going to receive their games, you know? And so um, it's, I think, important to give uh, an update to backers so that you're not like trying to react to you know, to stuff. Um, so be, being proactive is better than reactive in, in, you know, the Kickstarter space. And I um, distinctly remember one comment saying that they great, someone greatly appreciated that type of detail in the terms of keeping them up to date moment by moment of where the, the project is on this timeline that people find that helpful and useful. Yeah. And then, you know, it, the, the very last thing that I wrote was the, in what, what I call the next update section. So it's uh, kind of a promise that I hope to, really it's not I promise to, it's like more like my goal is to have this information by next month's update. So it's something that people can look forward to. And also I can actually look back and say, what did I need to talk about? And it's one of those things that can help me quickly create a oh, bulleted that's a, list. That's a clever idea. Yeah. Once, so like once you're in the moment and like you're kind of like in the, you've got the mojo flowing, right? And then it's easy to recap. That's a clever idea. Yeah. So each of these updates take me, um, I want to say, give it, you know, about four hours to to write the content, to check it and so on. And um, <laughs> last month's update took me like eight hours or 10 hours or something <laughs> like that. It, because I'm so in the moment and I'm so ready, it's like these are the things that I wish I had right now but that I'm sure that I will have, um, soon. And, you know, or like, for example, they're printing the prototype 
the final prototype copy of the game and i should have it probably by the 15th of this month maybe the maybe the 20th of this month and um that's something that um i'll be able to create an unboxing video and whatnot and so i just uh wrote that that's what you can expect i hope to have a final unboxing video and other things like that so yeah that pretty much concludes the update i also think one one other thing that's just relevant as we're talking about this update if you if you look in the comments you'll see that i responded to every single person that's what i was going to ask mm -hmm. did you respond to every single comment on every single platform or did you focus just on the kickstarter section i focused on kickstarter beyond others it it, it depends on how many comments you get if you get 10 comments on kickstarter and three on board game geek and five on you know in your facebook group you know and you have one conversation you know on a particular day in discord it's not a huge deal and you should you should respond to everything if you get a ton of comments you know a hundred comments i mean for me i think this article i don't know exactly how many this one has let me take a look but uh it has 56 comments it took me like three or four days to get through uh, and, and respond to each comment when I posted right away, you've got like 30 minutes to update your post after it's finished. So I typically stick around, hover around and read it, read it through once, share it to all my social medias and look for the first couple of comments because sometimes they're like, you know, like one update, my timeline was completely off and it was like, you would have to take a time machine because I forgot to change 2021 to 2022 or something like that. And, um, so January, it was like January, 2021 or whatever. And it was like, yeah, that's in the past. That date's in the past. So I usually try to fix issues like that. And, uh, people that update on or that, that comment early on Kickstarter will oftentimes reference that there's an error. And, uh, but after that, after the first 30 minutes or so, I usually don't get to the comments until the next day. I try to just at least thank people for responding and, uh, in some cases, I try to write something a little more meaningful. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to respond to so something. If somebody invests time into you and they, some people wrote just a gigantic chunk of text. And I think that that deserves acknowledgement, you know, and so that, you know, to that person individually, and that just means responding to them or, or saying, yeah, this point that you made in that comment was really great. So when we review all these comments, all these responses, we can then sort of surmise why, what are the key triggers that cause Kickstarter backers to back projects? And this is very useful information because if, if you understand this, you can then leverage this in your game development, but also in your updates, also in your messaging and your marketing messaging and your advertising. These are things which you can leverage. So pay attention to why these people backed deliverance and you're going to see a lot of reoccurring themes when, when i looked over all the comments i read all the comments which might be better for me to do because i don't have to respond so i can quickly go from the next one to the next one this is what i have one because of a feeling of this needing to exist that this needs to exist so the theme the game really resonated with that person with, with a certain type of background that this needs to exist i'm backing this because i want this to be in the world which is slowly sort of kind of like closely followed up by some people almost like sticking, I want to say sticking it to the man. It's getting this game out, which otherwise wouldn't be made. 
And that's because maybe it's so niche or it's it's covering something controversial like this. Obviously, Deliverance has a religious themes. I'm sure many publishers wouldn't want to touch this game with a 10-foot pole. So a lot of backers are backing this specifically because it's the only way to get this. And also, it's, it's, it's a game or it's a project that may be more mainstream or I'd, I would say... Publishers who want to play it safe would never touch. So it's not a game you would get in any any other way. So that, that's a motivation behind people. A lot of people were really drawn to the creator's attempt to genuinely make the campaign special. So that, this idea of, of going the extra mile and the the person you and you being invested, showing that you're invested, showing that you care. This isn't just a, a product to make money. This is something that you're really passionate about. People want to, mm-hmm. there was sort of this overarching emphasis of wanting to support kind of like small business, passionate small mm-hmm. business creators. So I think if you can communicate that on your update, all the better. I, I thought about that one because I, there were a couple of people who referenced, you know, what, what kind of boils down to, as you said, going the extra mile. And I think that where people gain that feeling is in the way that you communicate with them before the campaign you know, and kind of warming people up to the idea of the game during the campaign, after the campaign, all of that, the com- the way that you communicate and uh, and involve people, I think that really, really, really helps, um, and, you know, your reputation. So another thing is that people back because it might not come to retail because it's so unique, um, like uh, coming back to this kind of sticking it to the man or publishers won't cover this because this is such a unique project. I need to back this now because it probably is going to come, is going to come to retail. There's not enough people that would get behind this because it's sort of so kind of niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I find really interesting because a lot of the time, the, the tendency on Kickstarter is to look at it like you need to have, you know, 500% funding or whatever to be taken seriously. People want to know, oh, this project is a winner. And I think there's a certain amount that that's true where people want multiple stretch goals knocked down and, and other things like that. But you'll get people that are just excited to play that game where there's like that this game, there's no other game like it on my shelf right now. I really need it. I really like the theme and I, I just want it. And I, you know, and if if the company's new, this is actually a ben- an advantage because you don't have those distribution relationships. You don't like if, you know, we use him as an example all the time, but you know, Jamie Stegmaier with Stonemeyer games, you know, if he launches a wingspan expansion, you, you can pre-order it on, you know, and, and he, he'll make a really big pre-order and you guarantee that you get the game, but you can be fairly confident that your local game store will carry it or will at least have access to it at some point in the future. If you ever, you wanted to get it, which is not so with a, small creator that is attempting to bring a project to life and may only ever print 3000 units of, of a game, all those things are going to be gone and never printed again, possibly. So another reason why people back now is this idea of participating in the design process, either observing it and just being interested in it, but also being actively involved, having a say in how the game is designed. But what I found interesting wasn't just game design. It was extra stuff like having a say in what, what, what the shirts were like, any of the extra components, which weren't directly game related, they were indirectly related, but people even appreciated being involved in those decisions. It's like they feel part of the project, which I thought was interesting. So don't overlook the small decisions. It could just be naming something. It could be what color should our t-shirts be? What logo do you like? Which art piece do you like? So things which do not directly touch the game, 
would still be worth involving your community and being able to say, I helped made this possible. So I think that sort of comes down to being really personal to them that I really want this to exist. And then having that sense of achievement, like I helped make this a thing. I helped bring this into the world. And I think this is where like including backers in your rulebook can be very important to certain people because it's like they're set in stone or set in paper and print that I helped make this game a reality. And I think that that kind of, that really helps people kind of back now. Yeah, I, th I think that, uh, you know, the credit in the rule book, I actually do think that that matters to people at certain pledge levels. For example, I gave credit in the rule book to all of my angel investors and archangel investors just because of, you know, as a reward at that pledge level. And I, and I don't think that the reason they, they would spend $750 or, or $1,500 is because of the placement they get in the rule book. I definitely think that you know, if they're going to spend and get the um, additional value, it's a nice bonus to to be acknowledged. Would you accept you know? in the future if someone wanted to advertise it, like put their like website? Would you accept that in in the rule book? I, I always kind of felt like is is that a way that someone might want to advertise? I know I've never had that happen before, but I mean, if honestly, this is what I would say is that if one of my fans came to me and they said, "I have a plumbing business and it means a lot to me." Would you be down to advertise Joe's plumbing in your rule book? I'd be like, heck yeah, man. And it wouldn't cost anything so that I could help that person. That's that's more where where I feel um the warm and fuzzies, being able to give back, you know, kind of get, getting an opportunity to give back. And I I used this example um in a recent podcast, but it was a, a very memorable moment for me in the deliverance campaign. There was a, a guy that was one of our very first backers. He's like super talented at getting backer number one. For uh, and I, he beat me at uh, one of the projects that we both were both excited about, the Asafarian Guard. And then um, I think he got backer number two on the Deliverance campaign. Um, super talented at at getting backer number one or, or close to it. But um, he was like, "Yeah, man, I don't have all in. If there was a little league baseball field on your neoprene mat, though, I'd I'd jump all in." And I responded like, "Are you serious? Like, because I will put a little league baseball field on there right now." And uh, he he responded and was like, "Yes, I am." And an hour later, my artist, you know, put a put a little league field there, and I showed him the finished product. He he immediately upgraded, and it was really fun. It was the little league field was only for him. Although I do think that it it actually added an overall like value because my town didn't have a little league field. You know, what what kind of town in Southern California doesn't have a little league baseball field? And yeah, it's a touch of realism. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it made one person's day, right? You know yeah. he'll be a fan of that neoprene map forever because of that baseball field. But um, I just think that that is it was an opportunity that I had to give something meaningful to someone. It actually didn't cost me anything. My artist just whipped it together really fast and said, "Here it is." <laughs> Thanks. But you, you know. also did this with Love Line Nerd. It's a kind of organization that's helped promote deliverance, and you kind of gave them some. TLC included their logo on, on the back of the box? I actually included it on the front of the box, the, the front corner, because um, I think my opinion is that worthy causes need to be lifted. If I can help, I think that the, that, that organization does help people and they certainly helped me. They, they pulled together money and bought an angel investor pledge. They marketed the game a lot. They were 
they did they really did a lot for us we were like the headlining sponsor of their ltn con and uh they they kind of treat us like uh kings from you know as far as uh deliverance and low-end games and uh they're they're big advocates for us and so in return i saw the opportunity to be an advocate for them in a way that was meaningful and um so i just i took it so another thing that someone said which i thought was interesting why they back kickstarters is this dopamine hit they get after they receive their kickstarter maybe years or months later and suddenly they got this big parcel that comes to the door and so that excitement of randomly opening a game that comes to your door that's so it's this game i back that i forgot about that that kind of dopamine hit it's, yep. it's almost like I, I, I it's probably like the loot box experience where you're kind of just sitting at home one day and suddenly ding dong it's like what's this oh yeah i forgot about the, this it's almost like a, a yeah. random surprise and i think that's really appealing to backers is having that that experience with kickstarters which i thought was interesting that someone actually yeah. mentioned that i know you feel that way right now with skyrim I know. I'm Everybody waiting for like, when's it coming? When's it coming? I know. That's how I feel right now. Um, it's so funny because, you know, I back a game like a year or two years ago and then finally it, it arrives. And first thing is like, I, my wife is, is used to the, <laughs> the conversation of like, I backed this two years ago. I didn't use money from the credit card today. It was two years ago. And <laughs> so uh, <it's> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's so, She's, she's going to be like, I bought these shoes two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it, it's funny, but the, uh, there is this, you know, I mean, I've gone through lots of, you know, feast and famine times and it's, it's just, there's no better feeling than getting a fancy Kickstarter board game when you're in a, in a period of like, you know, you just spent a bunch of money fixing your car or something like that. You're not going to be able, you don't have disposable income to spend on, on other things, but it's nice when in the middle of a time like that, you get this gigantic, awesome game that you were looking forward to. And it just, it just arrives. It definitely adds a little pep in your step for, and, and I felt a little bit um, targeted by that, um, that dopamine hit comment uh, because I, I, I didn't recognize it, but I completely have that as well. It's an addiction. Yeah. So one thing that why people back now is better value. And this is either seen in having a lower price than it will the game will have at retail or better quality components. What I noticed was that people were not very keen on Kickstarter exclusives. So, and I think one person even gave Nemesis an, as an example of where the expansions were Kickstarter exclusives. So if you bought, if you buy Nemesis now and you want to get the expansions, well, you have to pay top dollar yeah. to, to get it and you, just, you, you can't get any more. And that, that really annoys them that they can't finish their collection of the game. So I thought that was really interesting. So, and that, that was sort of reoccurring. A lot of people did not like Kickstarter exclusives. So I think some people were fine with it if it was like a, things to do with aesthetics. But when it came to gameplay, they want to be able to, they want to have the option to get it later. So if you are going to, one reason why people back now is for better value in terms of the price being lower than retail or the quality of components being better than they are at retail. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind. I would avoid Kickstarter exclusives when it comes to gameplay. People don't yep. seem to re resonate with that. And I'll, we can, we'll get into that one uh, later in this podcast as well. Uh, I, I would definitely want to dive deeper into that, but I'll say that it's not, it's not just, you know, because if, if I go to a Kickstarter and I see there are exclusives and I get a, a free exclusive mini expansion, that will not be available later at retail. It is a reason to back now. However, it's also something that backers look and they say, 
I don't like that company's decision to make this exclusive. It does count. It is a mark against you, I think, in the mind of a super backer, it, you know, a lot of the time. And that's kind of a strange juxtaposition of, yes, I'm getting something exclusive, which is a good thing, but it won't be available later for anyone else, which means, you know, they're annoyed at you for that. And I think that there are solutions, but sometimes, and we've had, we had the sentiment explained in the uh, comments of, uh, you know, from, from super backers in, in the Kickstarter comment section of my update, they said that sometimes when they had, or when there were Kickstarter exclusive items, they just chose to not back the game at all because of that. And I was, I was a little surprised about that, but I, but it, it does make sense. You know, some people, they have to be a little bit more conservative with their money, you know, nowadays inflation and, and all that there are sometimes people decide this project or that project based upon very few differences. Both games are innovative. Both games are fun. Both games are, you know, something they don't have on their shelf. And But in this game, I get everything and I can get everything at any point, which is far more attractive than yeah. this game. Well, I have to go all in now. Otherwise, I'm not going to get this. And what if I really like this game and I don't want to invest mm -hmm. all the money now? So Exactly. Yeah, so I would have bought the deluxe edition of the first game and the deluxe edition of the second game. But because the deluxe edition of the second game is missing that exclusive from the all in. I'm just not at all going to invest in the deluxe edition of, of the second game. So that's, that's a, it, you, you can lose. I think there's a right way to do that. You know, if you're, if you're going to offer exclusives, Simon is probably the best company to look at for a company that does Kickstarter exclusive items. And the, you know, I mean, I personally find that gameplay is the thing you don't want to have exclusive. If it's a metal coin, you know, some sort of upgrade, like uh, for example, one thing that I fully intend to do in the future, and you guys can uh, probably take this one to the bank. We have this experience token that is like a circle. If you, if anybody's played Dead of Winter, you've got this, uh, these circular tokens that, you know, circle uh, various numbers, you know, that you slide along a track. And the experience token in Deliverance is like that, where it's a hollow circle that um, you put on top of a, a number that tracks how much experience you have. And I'm going to make a metal version of that. And, and that's going to be an exclusive gift to all backers of uh, the Deliverance expansion. And uh, I think that people will really like that. It's, you know, whatever a $2 value or dollar value, something like that. I don't know. Uh, probably sell it for five bucks as an add-on, but which is sensible maybe to to a backer that is that is buying the thing later but if it's an exclusive item it, it doesn't impact gameplay at all mm -hmm. you know it's just a fancy upgrade so definitely something to kind of think about if um if you're gonna if you're planning on doing something like that so and then the final thing i have on my list of why people back now is they get the product before anyone else and i think that's really important I, i'd be very annoyed if i backed a kickstarter and it came to retail before i got it <laughs> like i'd be like yep. oh, why did i even back this and especially if it was like it's cheaper on retail it's like so what i just paid for something more expensive that i'm getting later it makes no sense so i think that's a big no-no i think for a lot of <laughs> big no-no yeah for, for yeah actually, and that's one i find personally um a big pet peeve of mine personally yeah there was a, a game i'm looking on my shelf right now terraforming mars the card game that's what it was terraforming mars the card game i backed it on kickstarter i i, I backed the game and then i also backed for the quote unquote exclusive um like dual layer player boards for terraforming mars um 
I really wanted those dual layer boards. And um, so the uh, the game itself actually arrived on target shelves before they arrived in backers' hands. And the reason for that was because they had uh, they printed a, a separate run exclusive to Target, and Target is way faster than uh, you know their distribution is way faster than um, the other you know like Quartermaster Logistics or whatever. And um, the uh, you know because Target's one of the biggest companies and the world, biggest retailers in the world, and so um, people were really upset about that because you know why didn't I just buy it at Target? But they actually had a pretty this is Stronghold Games. They had a pretty great response, and that was related to the other some of the other reasons that you would back now. You had thicker player boards. You got the exclusive neoprene mats. You got the upgraded, you know, tokens and other things. And so you actually got a better, different version of the game, and that largely satisfied the grumpiness of of fans. <laughs> but I definitely think that you know there were, there was another case where uh, who was it? Lucky Duck Games took Chronicles of Crime, the Millennium series. Um, I, I, a game I backed. I really enjoyed Chronicles of Crime. And so the Millennium series, 1400 was not yet delivered to backers, but they needed something. They wanted something to bring to a big convention. And they airmailed a bunch of those games so that they could have stock to sell at, at a whatever convention it was. But what they did was they actually pulled their backers to see if they would approve you know, doing that. And everybody overwhelmingly wanted what is in the best interest of the company. They want the company to be healthy because they like the company. They have a good reputation and all that. They were like, Hey, we'll live by the results of this poll, you know, and it was overwhelming support. And, um, you know, so they, they actually released with the blessing of their backers, uh, the game at that convention before it actually arrived in the mailbox. So you you want to be careful. Yeah, you do. If there's anything that you found particularly surprising, Andrew, you want to dive deeper into, then let's let's go there. Uh, there are a couple of elements that I really want to dive deeper into that I think will help our listeners quite a lot. But the but the first thing I want to reference back to is the in the update that I wrote, update number thirty one for Deliverance. I talked about the Kickstarter strategy moving forward, and i I wanted to kind of explain my reasoning for why. For, for some stuff I've been thinking about in my company and really the position that crowdfunding has in the business of my company. So um, I may be a, a very successful company one day. I may be, you know, a small uh, boutique operation. And, you know, if honestly, if, if um, people are clear that, Hey, I, I love deliverance, but I, I got it now. And so I'm, happy and it just doesn't it, it just ends up being something that doesn't really take off i i want to sell a thousand units a month of deliverance you know and make more games and and other things like that but i can't have a thousand unit kickstarter every month i need to have some other strategies so kickstarter can't be the entirety of my company's strategy i'm gonna have more product i'm gonna have to sell at retail i'm gonna have to or or i'm gonna have to sell direct um from my website maybe i'll sell on amazon and so what is the, like, why, you know, you should really think about your Kickstarter strategy as a company and the place that it has. So, I, you know, there are companies we've worked with and consulted with that have really shot themselves in the foot with a, you know, by not thinking through their, their 
the place that crowdfunding has in their in their business. And so for me, the the answer or the question that I'm aiming to answer well is if from a backer, why should I back this Kickstarter now when I could just buy it later? Um, that's the objection that you have to overcome. And so as an avid backer of board game projects and other, you know, I mean, board games, a few video games, few tech products, you know, but mainly board games for market research purposes, you understand. How many of those are $1 pages? <laughs> Probably too few. So my project may legitimately not exist. It will not exist without backer support. So the that's that that's going to remain true for our expansion. We won't be able to, to just, you know, whip out an expansion regardless of uh, how many backers because, you know, the people on Kickstarter, our, our, our uh, core consumer, you know, that are going to buy our stuff right now. We don't have a distribution network. We don't have an established product on Amazon or, or, or anything like that, um, that, that just sells passively. And so crowdfunding is really important to our company. Um, but one day I'm assuming that we're going to have some sort of ongoing sales where, where we're going to, my goal is to reprint the game without necessarily needing Kickstarter, but in the, with the excess units that we sell it, if we sell them fast enough, it's going to generate the money to reprint the game and, uh, and deliver it to warehouses and continue to sell it. So I'm, you know, with that assumption that we're going to eventually um, get there, I, I wanted to position Kickstarter now. And so I, what I decided was this, I decided that each future Kickstarter edition is going to feature the deluxe edition of the game. And I'm going to do a deluxe print run during, you know, for Kickstarter. I'm not going to do a retail print run for Kickstarter. Um, um, you know, I mean, it's possible that when we have more disposable income and we have a bunch of retail orders and whatnot, that I can do that. But um, the I will not be listing the retail edition for backers to choose on the um, the next Kickstarter we run. I will only be using a. I will only give them the option to select a deluxe edition, including this Kickstarter. So everybody that backed this Kickstarter is backing a deluxe edition of the game, and when we reprint, this means when we reprint, we're actually going to cut down on the component quality, the quantity of the, you know, the components like less, like fewer cards, instead of cardboard thickness for your player board, you're going to have like a card stock thickness. We're going to lower the price. You know, my goal is $59. If I can get the price down to 59 bucks uh, retail, uh, we'll do that. The weight the actual weight of the the product is going to be much lower. We're going to obviously not include miniatures and the metal components and whatnot. It's going to be like a lower quality version of the game. And that's because I, you know, people can buy that and play it and enjoy it and get the same exact. Like more mass produced, mass market type of game rather than like. Right. So something that, you know, right now deliverance weighs. I don't know, like nine kilograms or something like that. So can you bench press? You know, how much? How many boxes of deliverances can you bench press? <laughs> I think I could bench press like four deliverance boxes on each side at least. You know, uh, four plates on each side. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, something like that. Um, with the retail edition, I I'm gonna try to make that at least half. I'm gonna try to have the weight. So it's gonna be a shorter box. It's gonna be uh, lighter components and 
you know, fewer components, hopefully it will, you know, be a much more effective price point. But the, uh, which is going to, which matters at retail. Like if, if you're, if your thing costs less, more people are able to buy it and more people are likely to buy it, uh, because it just costs less. If you have a hundred dollar product versus a $60 product, you're going to sell statistically, you should sell fewer of that hundred than the 60 quantity wise, right? If get all other things being equal, hundred dollar diamond versus $60, like, you know, elephant ride. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one you sell more of, <laughs> but yeah, so that kind of, to me as a backer, the deluxe edition of a game is what makes me want to back. Now it's like one of the reasons that I'll back a Kickstarter versus just wait. I feel like I'm going to miss out on the dual layered player board and the metal coins and, uh, you know, other things like that and the special, the free expansion. And, and then my other cornerstones to my personal answer, I listed in addition to the deluxe edition is that you can get it first, you can get it at the best price. You can actually help bring it to life. Um, you can get limited exclusive components, which are like the metal, metal, uh, experience token that I, that I shared. And then I listed personally, my sincere appreciation for your support. I didn't have anybody in the comments list that they needed my, or they would back because of my appreciation. But there were people who said they wanted to support passionate small business owners. So that probably hits the same sentiment. So what I did was I went through all the comments and I tallied together the, the comments that were repeated the, or the themes that were repeated the greatest number of times. And I, I thought I would just kind of dive a little bit deeper into these. Um, so maybe we'll do the top three. Yeah. Uh, ones that sure. came up so, first. Definitely. So um, the number one was communication. Number one by far was communication. People either saying that they wanted to participate in the process and they appreciated when the, when the creator allowed them to, to participate in the process. Um, they felt like, uh, you know, on other aspect of communication that you mentioned the backer when the backer feels the creator is being sincere that you know they'll they'll fight through adversity to get it made and and that sort of thing and then you know just in general it seems that when you win over a backer they're going to support you you know in, in all of your projects they they want to support you in all of your projects and so i think that timely communication that you know build you know, the build up to your kickstarter and how you, how you, how you build. I mean, that's all of that combined is I think the number one factor in all of this. I don't know if you have any extra to say about communication, but I think it's important. This way it comes back to this idea of summarizing what the email is going to be about and then concluding it, the update. I think that is a very efficient way of com communicating. And it also, because you're kind of saying this is what's going to be covered in the next email you're incentivizing people to keep on opening the emails. It's like, oh, well, I kind of have an idea what this might be about and I'm looking forward to the next communication. And I think that's that's all part of it. So I think my sort of big, biggest takeaway is to emphasize that in your email updates, being intentional of what you're covering, what you're going to cover and make that clear to backers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this, uh, I had a speech and debate course that, uh, you know, back in uh, junior college, I, um, it, uh, I was, I was taught to, in a speech, you're supposed to tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Yeah. And that's how you wrap up. And I think that the same is true in writing an update like that, you know, backers want 
to support a project they believe the world needs to, that just needs to exist. The world needs to have this. And um, the, the whole concept behind like the one of a kind thing, I feel like relates to this as well. One of the sentiments that was expressed in the comments was that big companies are so clueless about what people really want, especially in entertainment. So it, it could feel, it can feel like certain indie projects wouldn't exist otherwise. And Kickstarter, especially with board games, that is so true in regard to board games. Kickstarter, GameFound, and crowdfunding has become the primary way for an indie to craft a and, and release a, an awesome board game project. Um, and so, uh, you know, people express that it's heartwarming to support someone's idea. And I, I think related to it, this one of a kind concept where if I look over on my shelf to my left, there's nothing else like this crowdfunding project that I'm looking at on, you know, on GameFound or whatever on my shelf right now. So people look for innovations in game design. And I think that in, in this theme is so important. You know, people latch onto themes before they latch onto the mechanics. Um, they want to know that the game is something that they would like doing, you know, that they would like spending their time doing, whether that's weaving a tapestry or uh, slaying demons by the power of God, you know, as an epic archangel. So let's see the other. And I think that this is really a very, very popular theme. In fact, it should have probably been number two, but getting something unique i wrote in particular the deluxe edition that that concept mm -hmm. was expressed by i want to say seven or or eight wait actually 11 different mm. comments that i that i tracked and that's really we talked about it's either cheaper price or better components we're not talking yep. about exclusives kickstarter exclusives Right. So they, yeah, they, they want specifically, they want a version of the game that is better than what they could possibly get later. And that, you know, people, I think that Kickstarter backers understand more than most economies of scale. So they understand that if you get 500 backers, you're going to make a thousand or 1500 units. And they feel like if we're giving you the money to make 1500 units, then you should make ours better. It's kind of an intuitive thing that backers have been trained to understand. And that's why we have things like stretch goals and whatnot. But the deluxe edition, you can have, you know, for me, maybe the next Kickstarter, we're going to have a $100,000 goal and it's just going to be a deluxe edition. And if you want the deluxe edition, we have to put in a hundred thousand bucks into, you know, to actually even fund the thing. A uh, game recently, you know, somewhat recently was Aridia, the paths we dare tread. It's what it's called. Big, big game. And, um, you know, we ended up, uh, they ended up having like a $750,000, um, funding goal. It was a huge, huge ask and they made it after like a week or something. And, um, it, it just did very well, but they were very forward about the type of game that they were making and that, you know, that it needed a lot of investment in order to even get off the ground because it was a deluxe edition. They had like miniatures that you could swap heads and bodies and stuff cool were they magnetic i don't know i think that they were like plastic and you know with like a long stem to oh, stick okay. the head into the body but um yeah it was, it was very interesting but yeah so i think that the deluxe edition is very very important and it's really a can of worms from a manufacturing perspective you have to be careful about making two versions of your game you can't make you know a thousand of the deluxe edition 
and then another thousand, but just withhold a few components, they're going to charge you for a thousand deluxe editions, a thousand units of that and a thousand units of this. They're not going to charge you for 2000 units, which is much better as far as economies mm -hmm. of scale goes. And then, you know, a little bit for the few extra components. So what tips would you have for people when it comes to manufacturing to sort of mitigate some of those risks? What kind of differences should there be in, you know, a lower version compared to a deluxe version? What's kind of the easiest sort of path of least resistance and doing this well? Well, it, it, I guess first depends on if you want to actually fit it, fit the deluxe components into the same box. For me, deliverance, we have a box that's going to be five and a half inches tall and a box that will be roughly three and a half inches tall, maybe close, closing in on four inches. And that's that four inch tall box is the limited number of base game units that we're going to send out. What I did was I made sure that the first two inserts that cover all the base game components were a certain height and every bit of the base game components could have, could fit in and did fit in those inserts. The deluxe components are all packaged in a third insert, which increases the height of the box by an inch and a half. Got it. So it sits on top the, of it. The smaller box, we're able to manufacture all of the same components, but fit those into a smaller box. And we do a hundred units of that small box. It's uh, and then tell them to pack those components into the smaller box in the same exact way. You you pack the inserts. All you have to do is just put those inserts one and two into the small box. Or if you're making the deluxe edition, you pack those same inserts one and two into the big box and mm -hmm. everything fits in the exact same way. So that's one, that's kind of one way that we ended up overcoming that issue. But and did that reduce costs in terms of manufacturing to get that way? I'll put it this way. I think it was actually a mistake for us to offer a base game hmm. versus a deluxe game. I think next time I will only offer the deluxe game. Uh, because it's just one version. It's a it's a headache. So what I'm trying to do is it's a loss, but I'm trying to minimize my loss and still deliver what I promise. If that if that makes sense. Got it. Yeah. So so that's kind of where the uh, the issue stems. So I definitely think that it's smart to have counselors that can that you can talk to that have been through this before. I certainly can share my experience, but uh, manufacturing is a can of worms. And uh, I think this is think where the um, game found. Um, pain increments is really going to help because I'm sure a lot of people just didn't have the finances to go for the deluxe. They just wanted like a, the, the easiest entry point. So having that ability to pay over time should be really appealing to people. And might be a reason to maybe even consider GameFound uh, for that very reason. If you only plan on doing a deluxe, well, um, or even mentioning it on, on the page somehow in the pledge manager, hey, you, we, we will accept incremental payments if you want to back the game. Um, I'll add one last thing is that I was surprised at how few times certain things were mentioned. Um, people want to get it first. They, they need to know that they like the gameplay. They need to know that it won't go to retail. They need to have clear pledge levels that show the gameplay all in. They want to, they were concerned that sleeves or storage would fit in the box. And those were only mentioned one time each. I think that the, you know, the, as a reason for somebody to actually back a Kickstarter, I look at those and say that it's not actually that huge of a, it, like if you didn't guarantee that I would get it first, I'm not backing. I don't think that people are thinking like that. I think that people want to get it first and it does impact their, their future opinion of if they should back your campaign or not. You know, the, 
the clear pledge levels with really the key was the gameplay. There should be a pledge tier with all the gameplay content located within that single tier. You know, all of the most important content should be in one tier in in a way that doesn't also force people to spend money on add-ons that they don't necessarily want. I think that that matters a lot, but it wasn't it wasn't communicated a lot um, other than just simply people saying, I want the deluxe edition. But I do think that that matters, but not necessarily for getting people to back now. Um, and I, you know, I do think that you run into a problem if you, if the offer is not, you know, if, if people didn't get what they wanted, if something, you know, if they like, uh, we've had clients before that put pack their solo mode into the most expensive tier when they could have just added 15 bucks to the lowest tier. And you know, the, there's your solo mode. We've had people choose not to back because a game was a little too expensive and you know they included a a set of metal coins or acrylic tokens or other things that they didn't need to include in that deluxe tier um so you can shoot yourself in the foot by forcing add-ons into pledge levels but i i didn't see it as a major needle mover on its own that would actually get somebody to back your kickstarter now versus just wait later so there you have it folks go and make better crowdfunding campaigns remember awesome. with great knowledge comes great responsibility <laughs> yeah. is it no no, no it's great with great power watch no <laughs> <laughs> all right cool send us out richard go robot richard go well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources articles and to listen to past podcasts please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.